Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Big Payoff. This is Rachel Bellow. And I'm Suzanne Mushin. This is a new conversation about business. We tackle all the personal stuff that really matters to you at work. I'm ready. Are you ready? ready? Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, Suzanne, so today let's answer this question. How do you navigate the boundaries between your work and your life? If you're not asking this question yet, trust us. You are going to be asking it pretty soon because space is really shrinking and the next generation seems to be piling on top of one another, both at work and in their home lives, and they're co-mingling the two in ways that used to be reserved for people who didn't have the money to do anything else. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. And then later in the show, we have one of our favorite people and experts in the studio, Scott Hess, who's one of the world's leading experts and speakers on youth millennium, millennium, on the millennium, (laughs) on everything having to do with the numbers two and zero, uh, on millennials, and also this new rising generation that they're branding post, the post-generational shifts. And he just always, what I love about Scott is he brings awesome data. He's got really good facts. But he also makes me nervous because he used to be What did he used to do in his past life? He was a poet and a proofreader. Oh, a proofreader. Right. The poetry thing I can live with, but it's the proofreader thing that just makes him, every time I send him an email, I'm like, double checking yourself. Well, semicolon. (laughs) Do I cap that? Anyway, we'll be talking to Scott in a little, in a little bit. This, so this physical collapse um, of boundaries in workspaces, you know, is, is just the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg, Suzanne. And I don't see this as being a very promising trend for you in particular, because you nearly had a nervous breakdown when we were acquired by another company and your precious office space, which was really big. And what I remember most about it is that it had this little orchid in it every Monday. <laughs> and, they, and, and when they acquired us, they were like, okay, yeah, the first thing they kind of knocked to the floor was your freaking orchid. Yeah, it wasn't every Monday. That is really, really harsh. But I think it was monthly. But that, let me just relive that moment of trauma for a moment. So I had this very beautiful, pristine, minimalist office, which was my sanctuary inside an otherwise really chaotic agency. And I'm so introverted that that space was my haven. And it, it really was 
very clean, very pure, and a hideout for me. It had a door, but it had a glass front on it. And I would go there, I admit, to hide, not from the staff, but... Yes, (laughs) from the staff. Well, they could see in. I couldn't actually hide. But the point was, that was my, my sanctuary and my refuge. And when we merged or when we were acquired, they said... Um, you can't just have this big office yourself. It just sends the wrong message. You know, we're bringing all these new people in and everybody's going to be shoved into, you know, double cubicle spaces and whatever. So we're going to have you share this office with our creative director and the new CEO. Oh, no, the next time I came, because I would come to Chicago like twice a month. Yeah. And I hadn't been there since the office had been invaded. And I walked into your office, which I, that was my ritual, right? We would have our coffee there in our private confab before we got to work. And it was like these three guys, heads down, and you looked so (laughs) miserable at your desk. You looked up at me like you were going to cry. Yeah. And I, and it really was for me about the, the raining bubble over my head was, I can't work this way. It really wasn't, I'm being honest because I would say it to you and you know me well enough that I would admit it. It wasn't about my ego. In fact, I was so thankful that we had this additional C-suite help that it wasn't about that. It was a shock to my system of, I can't work this way. Right. And I, well, if you can't work that way, then you certainly wouldn't like the news that we work, the, um, you know, the co-working, it's now the largest co-working space, I think, in the world. Um, but they announced, well, they didn't announce, there was a presentation that was leaked, an investor presentation that was leaked that was then uh, blasted in the media um, that suggested that the company is betting hugely heavily on its new co-living venture. So right now it's just a co-working space. It's all over New York and everybody. Chicago. And Chicago and elsewhere in the country and Actually, in Paris, I think, in Israel. Anyway, um, now they're going to launch this co-living space called We Live. Um, and aside from the fact that there there were numbers associated with it that suggested that maybe WeWork isn't as profitable as we thought, the main thing that should freak you out is this idea that it's not enough that we're all working on top of each other. And when you walk into those places, beautifully designed, but they are rabbit warrens. There's no question about it. Now, you can live right there cheek by jowl with those same people and never have to have a conversation with anyone who's not like in your little world. It's terrifying. And I do wonder, and I can't wait to ask Scott about this. I do wonder, is this generational? I mean, is this, do we, is the rising generation, you know, let's just say 22 to 32 or 35, is this the way they want to work because there's something in our cultural context that's telling them that this is a good way to be productive and all of the boundaries with social media are allowing so much convergence between work life and business life anyway that you might as well live this way? Or are we ignoring the inner life? Are we ignoring the fact that there are certain people like me and others who just can't work that way or live that way? I mean, I had a panic attack. We had an Israeli lovely young woman living with us for almost a year. Oh, I couldn't. I never. I always resisted the live-in au pair at every turn. I can't do that. It was pain. And I loved her. And every day she came home, I was happy to see her. But there was something in my head for that entire year about having that precious little slice of space taken over by someone else. And so is that... 
are are there people out there who are young and into the co-working space and, you know, do work at 12 at night and one in the morning and have no boundaries who yet still need some privacy? Well, I, I think this is an illusion that there are no boundaries. I think that we need to break that apart and say that there's no question that what you said before about the interconnectivity of our work lives has led naturally to the need to break down the physical walls so that we can constantly be kind of intermingling. Okay, so that, that those, those big, large corner offices with the doors closed just simply don't make sense anymore. You're always coming in and out of your office. So that's part of it. But that doesn't mean that everybody then has to behave the same way. For one thing, let's stop pretending as if there's only one kind of work. So in any given day, you have emails that you have to write. There's internet surfing you have to do for research or for whatever purpose, porn. <laughs> um, then you have, um, I ha- have a good part of every day that is really focused, quiet, writing, depth work. That I cannot do in shared space. Then there is conference calls that I cannot do in sh- shared space. Then there's calls with you. You know, those are all different kinds of work all that require different, different spaces. It's so true. I mean, I, when we got out of that merger and I started working from home for the first time in 20 years, I didn't have an office. While I initially had to get used to it, my first instinct was, oh, Soho House. I'll join Soho House, yeah, which is a that. club, a private club that people do go and work at in comfortable environments. But it's open space. I mean, you don't have a private office. And so that, to me, felt like the best alternative. And yet, to your point, I can't take calls there. They actually have a no cell phone rule in the main part of the club. I can't really go there in during the day when I need a large chunk of time to myself. But you've gotten so good at managing the interstices of Chicago. I'm really proud of you. Like you'll say, I've got 15 minutes before my next meeting. This is a great Starbucks that I always do yeah. this at. Yeah. Or there's a gr- you have to learn to manage the interstices of your city, your community. I love and when Rachel uses these big words. You when you said city, that no. <laughs> When you said it to me this morning at Starbucks and we were having this conversation, do you remember I asked you to repeat it? I said, what did you just say? I mean, now I understand because I can. Okay. So (laughs) interstices is the space between. And you need to learn how to manage that for the purpose of the particular work you've got. You wouldn't do a conference call on the street, but you might do something else on a corner. Yeah. And I do think you also need to have your boundary issues, you need to be comfortable with what those are. So for me, for example, reading the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking was really game-changing for me. I remember me. that. You were bragging. that you would, But it is true that you'd been very apologetic about your yeah. introverted tendencies. Yeah. And after that book, you began to claim it in a way which is really important for everyone to do. And to just acknowledge and admit, it was funny. I, I admitted it and just circling back, um, we were talking earlier today about the tech gala, the 1871 dinner, there's an after party afterwards. And 
I dread the after party. You you know, I mean, I just, there's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than having just sort of performed on a stage and now I have to go upstairs and mingle and be in sort of a quiet, you know, a, a, a social environment. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And I actually went up to Mark Ackler, a friend of mine who knows me really well. And I looked him in the eye and I said, do you think I need to be there? I mean, I'm the chair of this dinner. Do you think I need to be there? And he looked at me and said, um, you don't need to be there. It would be nice for you to go up, say hello to people, and then you can absolutely go. And just and I knew he was giving me that permission because he knows me and understands how uncomfortable I would be. That's what you need to do. And sometimes that's, you can do that for yourself. If not, ask somebody who really knows you. Like, do I need to work in this space, right. in this way. D- is it okay for me to take a private room for part of the day? Whatever it is that you need to accommodate personally, claim it. Yeah. So let's talk to Scott. I really, really want to know from him, is this is this generational? Are these trends are part of the overall experience of millennials and young people that are going to impose on the rest of us a certain kind of working environment? Or what assumptions are we making about the millennials and the post-generation that maybe he'll dispel? Maybe he will. And he'll also correct us on any any grammar during the show. No, that's that's my my job. (laughs) You you are the grammar police. Okay, we'll be back to the big payoff in a few minutes talking to Scott Hess. There's nothing wrong with giving me a little room to breathe. Welcome back to The Big Payoff. Today, we are answering the question, how do you navigate the boundaries between your work and your life? And Rachel, we have Scott Hess with us, who has a great voice and great hair. And a great job. Uh. And a great head for facts. Yeah. So he's the Executive Vice President of Human Intelligence at Spark. Uh, SMG, Starcom Media Vets Group. I think you've had a promotion since you were last here, Scott. I did. There was, a, I think it was a sympathy promotion for having been there three years. I think it was because they heard you on this show and they were like, <laughs> boom, <Yeah. laughs> you nailed that. Because we weren't going to have you on again with your old title because yeah. we were just like, that, no, That's the heck is that? Uh, and then before that, Scott, you spent a decade at True and you've really become known for your expertise and insights around millennials. So let's just actually start again. Tell us and our listeners, what are, who are the millennials? So millennial is a name that was given to the generational cohort that was born between 1980 and 2000. Um, Generational theory is a really fun, soft science. It's been embraced by business and by journalists. It's a way to generalize about big groups of people and figure out how you can make a connection with them, whether it's a a new product or a, a marketing campaign. Yeah. And, and don't our millennials are are localized nationally, right? You're not making judgments about millennials globally. For the first time ever, actually, generational theorists are starting to think that there might be some generational ethos that crosses 
borders. Wow. But in general, you're talking uh, about – when we talk about millennials, you're mostly talking about Americans that are roughly 15 to 34 years old. Yeah. And what are the trends? So earlier in the show, we were talking about we live and we work and asking ourselves the question, is this this idea that you can actually work in a way that has very few boundaries or is much more um, commingled commingled than ever before? Is that a millennial thing? Is it generational? And, and if so, how do you account for the fact that not all millennials like to work the same way? So the first question, is it a generational thing? Um, it's, sometimes it's hard to pry apart uh, cultural things from generational co- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cohort things. Here's the difference, I think. Uh, if a millennial is uh, at home watching Netflix and a message from the boss pops up on the phone, they're not offended by that message. They're probably going to quickly uh, react to it and send it off, uh, unpause the Netflix and get back at it. So th- there's a level of expectation that's resident with a millennial that if a Gen Xer or a boomer gets that message, they're like, oh, God. The oh boss my God. is so, interrupting my private time. Right. And so so – there's a cultural shift going on. We're all experiencing the blending of work and personal life, but the way that your mindset intersects with that is indicative of your generation. Mm. That's really interesting. So the self-interruption that we always talk about with millennials, that they're they're doing three different things at once or multitasking, leads to an expectation, a natural expectation that they themselves can be interrupted at any given time. It's a more porous, like... Uh, work environment? The way I look at it is um, a, a millennial is fairly used to, at work, having access to the entire world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I started Anderson Consulting in 1989, I, I wasn't allowed to make long-distance phone calls. Right. Right? right. Um, I, I really had no access to my friends who were working in other buildings until the end of the workday. Yeah. Um, I, I really didn't even have email when I first started. Right. So we were walled off. Um, there was no interruption possible. I, I, I used to walk to the window at 69 West Washington, and I had a friend that worked across the street, and he would walk to the window. <laughs> and we would do like so that cute. Midnight Express, put your hand to the window, <laughs> praying for a connection Aww. to get out of there and yeah. stuff. And you'd run out. Happy hour. Do you yeah. remember happy hour yeah. in the late 80s and yeah. 90s? I mean, yeah. it was like yeah. it was this unbridled sense of release. Here I am. I'm being me again. I'm back in the world. Yeah, I'm contextualized by my, my friend group, my family, all day long at work. Um, and so I, I think the shift is just uh, a, a matter of what's been possible 
and um, and what's expected now. And so the difference is, though, that as Gen X or, or boomers, we're excited by these shifts, too, and we're adapting to these shifts. But we don't have that sense of expectation that this is how it is. And so that colors how we act. And do you what do you make of the we work, we live trend? I mean, I, I, it makes me uncomfortable for the reasons we were talking about in the first segment, because I can't work that way. And I'm just wondering, is that generational? Are you saying to me that if the same me had been born, you know, 12 years later, that I might not have that same predisposition to need more privacy? It's a pretty nuanced question. There's a lot of millennials that I work with. We've grown from 60 to 400 people in the last three years. Uh, And so we've really expanded. uh, We're pressing against the seams of our space. And I know my young employees would love to have my office. I know they would love to come in there and shut the door. And I'll tell you, anytime anybody along the row of offices where I sit leaves, there are millennial squatters in there in an instant that okay, love to Okay, so go they more than the one or just or would they expect to have that office alone? Most of the time they're, they're using it for a meeting spot or mm-hmm. one person will, uh, will squat there and other people will occasionally come in and join. But, yeah, I think, you know, private space is still coveted. If you go up to 1871 and you see those crazy little phone booths yeah. that are hermetically yeah. sealed and you wonder if the people can breathe in there – there are tasks that you need private space for. That's not going away. Um, the expectation, though, that you're automatically going to be granted an office has left. That's, the, that's I think, the key issue is the expectation. I also think, um, look, if, you come to, if, you've, if you've got a kid or a nanny at home, uh, you come to work and you're leaving at 5 o'clock. And so you're just trying to absolutely maximize productivity. And that's something right. that happens at, you know, when you're 30 or 32 – but from about 22 to 32, yeah. you got nowhere to go. And work's <laughs> a lot more fun than it used to be. Yeah. You're connected yeah. to your friend group. Good Look at all point. this stuff. That our office has Fridge Fridays, and that sometimes happens on a Wednesday and Thursday where we've got we, – we have tremendous beer in the office. There's no reason to go yeah. to the Bergoff. Right. We sake. work is known for having beer on tap. I used to go to the Bergoff when I first worked so in Chicago. That we work in things like that. The co-working spaces are not about optimizing work. It's about optimizing my entire experience of my day. I'm not there because I can get more work done. I'm there because it's a much more pleasant way to spend six or eight or 10 or 12 hours. And is that true across gender? Is that, are there any significant gender trends you're seeing? You know, in that particular case that we're talking about, I don't see a stark gender contrast. I mean, the the biggest, uh, the one thing that leaps out is, uh, you know, the nursing rooms uh, that we have. That, that That's the only time where I see that workspace is dictated by gender. And frankly, increasingly now we have meditation rooms and right. nap rooms that are places where it doesn't matter what gender you are. Sometimes these spaces that we have now have actually doubled. They're occasionally a nursing room that takes precedence. But if they're not, they can be used as a nap room or a meditation room. Yeah, I, I just it makes me so uncomfortable to think about working in a space, especially if you bring the live part into it, where the collapsing of those boundaries is embraced by everyone. And everybody just thinks that that's just great and cool. And actually, the more we can converge our work life and our personal life, the better. And look, trust me that I'm not, you know, misinformed about work-life balance and trying to go back to an era in which there was that, you know, line in the sand. But on the far extreme of that feels like we live, that idea. I hear what you're saying. Um, This whole idea of work-life balance is a a relic. 
It yep. was a, yes. and, and frankly, it was a, it was a Gen X thing, and the idea was, um, look, we know work kind of sucks, but we're going to make it up to you. Right, um, exactly. Or, exactly. Or you can make it up to so yourself. So true. That is so true. And, and the, the, if you want to put a generational lens on this, it's really work-life integration means that it's, it's, we're not balancing the good and the bad so that at least you have a chance to replenish yourself. It, you should enjoy yourself, express yourself, yeah. and be yourself throughout the day. You know, but let's be clear that work-life balance is still a relevant construct for the large corporations because they're so slow to change that they're still in that compensatory, like, oh, your day sucks, let's make it suck a little less, totally. or let's give you, right? But the up, the rising generation, but I still have a it's question. It's not just the giant companies either. There are a lot of mid-sized companies yeah. that are small, privately held companies that are owned by 50-year-old guys like me that are startled by this. Yeah. So it's JCPenney, but it's also the the uh, you know $8 million company that's been around for 20 years and made yeah. a good living for somebody. Right, right. So the question back to Suzanne's question is whether I mean there is still a difference between life and work there there is there is a difference not between life and work there is a difference between your personal activities personal space and activities and work space and activities really they can get well <laughs> do are do you have sex rooms there <laughs> Do you have and is that is that it does we live anticipate that you know I, I don't know I feel like um, deciding whether or not there are conjugal visits at the office is an extreme um, but I'll tell you what does happen uh, we just had a um, kind of a values exploration session in our office not too long ago and uh, you did a kind of self-diagnostic to begin with and then you talked about your work style and your goals and stuff um, I was not the only person that shed a tear during this session. Wow. The wait, session, wait, what did why? you say? Yeah, why? Uh, in this particular instance, we were asked to reflect on uh, things that we felt grateful for. Um, and I, I, I went into personal stuff and immediately found myself, surprisingly to me, um, mm -hmm. comfortable. You know, um, we, we, we did mindfulness meditation in the office that was phenomenal. We do yoga once a week in our office, and people's faces and butts of you know, different genders and different ranks in the company are within a few feet of each other, if not a few inches. Um, that's inconceivable to the 1989 me that got to Anderson Consulting and had to put his jacket on when he stood up from his desk, right? Right. right. But those two, so I live in a loft in New York, and I work in my loft at a desk. Yep. But it's all visible, the whole thing. So at the end of my day, so when I first moved, I thought, well, there really is no division of space. So I thought, oh, I'm, how am I ever going to be me, relax at the end of the night when that desk and the looming unfinished tasks are still there? It actually doesn't bother me. I find that over time I can I compartmentalize a bit in my head when I'm done with my work. I really walk away from that desk, go to the other side of the loft, cook, watch, whatever, have people. But I, I'm able to leave it back. So it may be that the assumption of the you know those dividing lines changes over time. Yeah, I th I think that we can get used to lots of things. I and mean, I think that if you're put in a situation 
you know, I described the one where my office was taken over by four C-suite guys when it used to be private. I could not have gotten used to that. But I think if somebody had taken the small step in between of just having me share with one person Mm -hmm. and then maybe six months later giving me another person, it might have been easier. And then fired you? (laughs) And then fired me. So we're going to continue to talk to Scott Hess when we return to the big payoff after this short break. I like that boom, boom, pow. Them chickens jogging my style. They try to copy my swagger. I'm on that next now. I'm sold 3,008. You sold 2,000 and late. I got that boom, boom, boom. That future boom, boom, boom. Let me get it now. Boom, boom, boom. Gotta get that boom, boom. To wrap up, Scott, here's what we want to know. What do you think is going to be the most surprising trend coming out of this post-generation? Is there anything you're seeing on the horizon that, in fact, flies in the face of or even accelerates or you know amplifies some of the stuff that you've learned about millennials? Well, post is the – how old is the yeah, oldest so post? Yeah, so post-generation are those that are essentially born 2000 and beyond. So we're talking about people that are 15 yeah. and under. Yeah. Um, Sociologists or demographers haven't drawn a stark distinction on exactly when they think the next generation starts and stops, but it's around the the year 2000. Um, some some real important shifts from these guys. I think one of the most important will be the um, the role that women will play. Um, if you think of the cultural frame that these guys are growing up in, um, who's the who's the Mike Tyson for this generation? Who's the most physically dominant? person on the planet right now where you just uh you step in the ring and it's just over with serena it's well serena and so i would say serena is the most powerful dominant athlete and ronda rousey is yeah, the we were, right. rachel we and i were just talking about her yesterday and someone said uh you know what about what about mayweather mayweather is going to dance with you for 15 rounds and look pretty doing it Ronda's going to break your arm um so, so you have kids right now that Perhaps, you know, arguably the two most dominant, and, and I'm not just talking about in, in terms of their performance, but I'm talking about in terms of physical mm-hmm. uh, strength and dominance are Serena and Ronda Rousey. Um, and these are neither of them. Used to be if there was a physically dominant athlete, she was probably uh, a, either an Eastern Bloc woman on steroids and likely a lesbian. These are two women that are identified as straight, that, that like to dress up and be pretty and also can absolutely kick your ass. You've got women disproportionately uh, heading to college over men. You've got uh, quality at the management level in companies now, um, not at the executive level yet, but you've got attitudinally recent uh, Pew work asked millennials about their expectations in the workplace. Women were more likely to say that they would ask for a raise. Women were, were disproportionately uh, having a sense of their own power in the workplace. So mm-hmm. I, I do think – look uh, – um, Look at Barack and Michelle and tell me who the power player is right. in that relationship. Right. Look at Angelina and Brad. Look at Will Smith and Look Jada Look at Rachel Pinkett. and Suzanne. There you go. <laughs> right. Well. Exactly. <laughs> so I, right. Wait, what? <laughs> I was going with a woman in the But well, there, that, there's yeah. a mat. There, so there, yeah. there's going to be a sense of, of uh, feminine power that's inclusive of actually being female and being physically and mentally powerful that will shape this generation. I also think there's a level of... Um, Pluralism. Uh, if you look at the way that trust has shifted, 
trust was uh, one person, probably a white guy with gray hair and a lab coat, affixing a seal of a, mm-hmm. a seal of approval to something. Um, it wasn't. It was a vaunted organization. It was this kind of singular, monolithic, mm-hmm. locked down thing. And now it's much more likely to be, you know, Yelp reviews and right. Amazon Crowd, reviews and crowds, Airbnb. It's right. communal. Yeah. yeah, and it's also imperfect and evolving. It's not a black box. It's not locked up. It's open and it's evolving. Um, and that's going to be a. So many of our clients now in the media space are like, well, you need to get that one person that's going to change the game for us by conveying status. Like, we'll borrow equity from this one. It's, it's not. It's, yeah. it's a much more of a tribal thing that you have to engender to, to gain trust. Uh, Scott, we could go on and on. I think we said this last time Scott was here, that we could just do like hours of taping with yeah. Scott. So we just have to have you back again. Um, thanks for joining us today. I'm expecting that after this show, you get another big bump in oh. your. You'll go from executive VP. I, I don't know that it'll be a, SVP. I think it'll be a raise. I'm not sure <laughs> just a raise. I want to go to XVP, which is oh, an unknown that would VP. Be great. That's awesome, um, Scott. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed listening to Rachel and Suzanne today and want to hear more from them, you can follow them at Big Payoff Radio on Twitter. You can like them on Facebook at The Big Payoff. Download their show directly on iTunes or Stitcher. Or you can find us on BigPayoffRadio.com.